Blog Talk Radio. True Christians whose faith is real will not be content to deny the filling of the Spirit of God. No. I think this is a command, and I think it's a command because God says it binds itself on every believer. And the only thing to do with the command of God is obey it. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. 
Perhaps no organization in the last few decades has done more to raise awareness of the dangers of alcohol abuse than Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or MAD. Of course, long before MAD began spreading its message, the Bible gave plenty of instructions about the dangers and the evils of drunkenness. But the Bible stops short of commanding you not to drink. How should you respond then to those who say Christians should never drink, or to those who say it's okay if they do? Today on Grace to You Weekend, John MacArthur points you to answers you may never have considered. It's part of the study he begins today, titled Living in the Spirit. And now with today's lesson, here's John. Take your Bible, would you please, and turn with me to the fifth chapter of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 18, and we're going to be looking at the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit-filled life. But before we can get to the phrase that says be filled with the Spirit, we've got to get past the one that says don't be drunk with wine, right? This is part of a contrast that Paul is giving. So we're going to talk about what it means in the first phrase, be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now Paul presents a contrast, doesn't he, between drunkenness and being Spirit-filled. Paul is saying to the Ephesians and to us, look, you have a higher kind of life. You don't seek your joy and exhilaration in the bottom of a bottle. You get it from the wonderful Holy Spirit. But listen, that's not the main meaning of what he's saying. That was just, you know, it was just a little free part. The main meaning of what he's saying, I'm going to give you right now, and I want you to listen to this. Paul's main thrust here is religious. It is religious. He is talking about systems of religion. Now, this may surprise you, so listen. Drunkenness was associated with pagan religion. The pagans believed that to commune with the gods, you had to put yourself in a drunken stupor to come to the highest level of communion with the gods. This was what was called the mystery religion. These are the roots of Greek, Roman, mythological religious systems. And they believed that you could commune with the gods through ecstasy. That was the frenzies and the ecstasies, the whirling dervishes, the, the self-hypnosis, the demonic things that went on, they called it uh, ecstasy, ecstasia, and enthusiasmas, enthusiasms. And they would get themselves worked into a literal frenzy and emotional bath. The great god of the Greek mythology was a god that we know as Zeus. And Zeus was the great mighty god, the god who was great and powerful. And Zeus um, somehow implanted his productive potential in now, they did it without ever meeting because no one could ever look on Zeus because they would be instantly incinerated by his glory. You see, it sounds like a satanic counterfeit of God the Father. And so Zeus and Semele never met, but Semele was carrying in her womb this child of Zeus, and Semele decided that she had the right to see the Father. So she entered into the presence of Zeus and was instantly incinerated in his presence. And Zeus snatched the body of the baby from the womb, yet unborn, and sewed it into his thigh. See, you understand that? <laughs> Zeus sewed this into his thigh and carried the baby in his thigh until its full term from which it was born. Now, you haven't heard anything yet. The infant God was then born, and it was destined by Zeus that this infant God should become the ru ruler of the world, of the planet Earth. This God was going to rule the planet Earth. Well, 
there were some beings, sub-gods, already on the earth, according to Greek mythology, called the Titans. And the Titans were the sons of earth. They kind of ran the earth. And when they saw that this, was, this, this son of Zeus was going to come down and take over, they were very upset. So they got a hold of the baby. They tore him limb from limb, and they ate him. But Zeus rescued the heart, swallowed the heart, and gave birth to the baby. Now, friends, that's what I call weird kind of stuff. But that is what the Greek mythology teaches. I got that out of a direct source. So finally, after Zeus had swallowed the heart, the child was reborn. He named the child Dionysius. Now, that's important because that name comes up in Greek religion, the ancient religions of the mystery religions of Babylon, over and over and over again. Dionysius is a very familiar name. You read anything on Greek mythology and you'll see his name everywhere. He was the number one god of earth. And Dionysius was born. Now Zeus was mad at the Titans, so he blasted all the Titans with lightning. They were reduced to ashes, and out of those ashes came the human race. So now you know the whole story. Now Dionysius was then in control of the earth, said the Greeks. And as Dionysius was in control of the earth, he began to develop a religion. And the religion that he developed was this religion of ascendancy where the human beings arose out of the ashes of the of the incinerated uh, titans, these human beings could rise to a level of divine consciousness. They could rise to commune with the gods. And it was a religion of ecstasy and emotions. It was a religion where there was wild music, and the ancient writers say there was, quote, dancing madness, where there was sexual perversion, and finally it was all induced by drunkenness. All right? And they would all meet together... They would begin with the music and then the dancing and the frenzy would continue. And when they began to dance and drink and become drunken, they came to a high point where they would eat the raw flesh of the mystic bull that was brought in. And finally they would, in a great uh, conclave of voices, they would call out to Dionysius with this phrase, Come thou Savior. That was their worship. It was recognized for its music, this worship, for its dancing madness, for its ecstasies, its enthusiasmas, its sex perversions, and all induced by drunkenness. And Dionysius became known as, quote, the god of wine, the god of wine. So you can see that the core of this whole concept of drunkenness is a vile, pagan counterfeit of true religion, you see. And when Paul is saying, look, don't be drunk with wine, he is not simply dealing with a social problem. He is dealing with a theological one, you see. He is dealing with something way deeper than just a little fun and games. This is the thing that is behind the scenes of what Paul is saying here, you see. It is not just social, it is theological. He is saying to these Ephesians, your background was a place where you communed with the gods through drunkenness. But I'm saying to you, if you want to really commune with God, be filled with what? His Spirit. And that's what he's saying to us. We don't need the artificial stuff of the world. If you want to be raised to the highest level of religious consciousness, just enter the presence of God through the filling of the Spirit. You know, this very corruption stood behind the Corinthian church, too. 
Look at 1 Corinthians with me for a minute, chapter 10. In fact, the whole problem of the Corinthian church was that they never were able to cut themselves off from the evil system. They never were able to divorce themselves from the world. Whatever corruptions they had known in paganism, they managed somehow to drag into the church. If they, if they were cliquish in their pagan life, they were cliquish in their church. If they were hero worshipers in their pagan life, they were hero worshipers in their church. If they were fascinated by certain philosophers in their, in their pagan life, they were in their church life. If they sued each other in their pagan life, they were suing each other in their church life. If they were proud and egotistical and uncaring in their pagan life, that's how they were in the church. If they had trouble with meat offered to idols in their pagan life, they had the same trouble when they became believers. If they didn't know what to do about the gifts of the Spirit, if they, if they didn't know the true gifts of the Spirit in the church, it was because they had corroded them all and corrupted them all by the paganism, and you'll never understand the meaning of tongues or prophecies or anything in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 unless you understand what was going on in the pagan world behind the scene. That was the whole, that was the whole mishmash. Everything was counterfeited in the Corinthian church. The whole thing was being scrambled because they dragged their paganism right into the church. And in dragging their paganism in, they corrupted everything. Now, in the, in the early church and in the church today, what is the one ordinance the one beautiful remembrance God has given the church that is the highest act of worship. What is it? It's communion, isn't it? That which our Lord Jesus Christ Himself designed to lift us into His very presence. That which the Lord designed for us to remember Him. That which the Lord designed for us to commune with Him was His table. And the Corinthians, you see, they were used to communing with the gods through drunkenness. So when they came to the Lord's table, guess what they brought? drunkenness. And so Paul is really approaching this subject in chapter 10, verse 16. He says to them, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, we're all one. We partake of one bread, one blood, one body. Now, that's the basis of his point, this unity. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, the pagans, they sacrifice to demons, to a no god. And I don't want you to fellowship with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord, which is the cup of communion, and the cup of demons, which is the cup of drunkenness, you see. You can't do those two things. Why? Back to verse 16. Because we are communing with Christ in one body. Verse 17, as one bread and one body. You can't divide it that way. You can't take Christ and commune with His cup. Run over here and, and drink yourself blind and drunk and worship some demonic idol. You can't do that. Can't be, verse 21 says, a partaker of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Don't, you can't mix those things. You'll provoke the Lord to jealousy, and you better be stronger than Him if you do that. You see, that was the whole point. They'd drink the cup of the Lord, which was the lovely cup of communion, remembering Christ. They'd go drink the cup of demons, which was drunkenness thinking they were getting to the highest level of religious consciousness through drunkenness, and our Lord was saying you can reach the highest level of religious spiritual perception by taking simply the cup of remembrance. What a beautiful contrast. Well, go over to verse 
19 of chapter 11. And this is where it becomes crystal clear that this is what they were doing. He says, there must be heresies among you. There must be heresies. And you, and you should manifest, you know, what's true and what's not. But look at verse 20. When you come together into one place, this, here's the Greek translation, this is not the Lord's Supper which you eat. When you come together, you might call it the Lord's Supper, and you might say, all right, everybody, we're going to have communion now, and you might say that it's that, but it is not that, for in eating, everyone takes before the other his own supper, that's gluttony and leaves people hungry, and another is drunk. In other words, what you're doing is not the Lord's table. It is the table of demons. You're doing it the way you used to do it, the way paganism does it. You see, that was behind the scenes here. That was the issue here. He is contrasting a satanic counterfeit with the divine reality of true worship and true communion. And I want you to see that's what he's saying, people. He's saying, don't worship God the way you used to. Now, that doesn't hit our culture because we didn't used to worship God through drunkenness, I hope. Maybe some of you came out of some mysticism where you got high on drugs and thought you were getting to some religious level of super consciousness. I don't know. But that's what he was saying here because the Ephesians had this counterfeit religious system. And he's saying, come to the pure. Don't let anything falsify what the Spirit wants to do. Don't let anything falsify what God can do by filling you with His Spirit. What a tremendous truth this is. It's just a fantastic reality that we don't need anything in the world. You know, Satan is the ape of God, and he'll always, he'll always add some artificial thing, phony joy, phony fellowship, phony communion. Now, I think that that's just precisely what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Now you can look back at Ephesians 5. Let me show you something interesting. The reason I think this is a religious issue here is because of the context. Involved in those pagan religions, when they got drunk, they went into their liturgy. When they got drunk, they went into their singing and their dancing and their wild activity. And that's what's in Paul's mind. And that is indicated by the fact that he follows verse 18 with the true Christian liturgy in verse 19. The true Christian liturgy is to speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and then giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You see, he's contrasting the spiritual, real liturgy with the phoniness that Satan had invented. That's his point. Well, I think you see. You're not a man of distinction when you get drunk. Oh, you, you don't distinct, you distinguish yourself at all. You get drunk, you're not distinct from anything. You are just parroting Satan's age-old lie. And I, there's no civilization in the world that hasn't invented a way to get drunk because Satan's after it all the time. I've driven down the roads in the jungles of Ecuador and watched the Indians stagger from side to side with stuff they make out of some kind of stuff they grind with their feet and push with rocks and every culture I've ever known. I've seen it in the Arab world. I've seen it all over the place, everywhere I've ever gone, every city I've ever been in, in ancient, ancient peoples. All man is all, I think it's part of the curse. I think the, that when God cursed the earth, it became possible for the fruit of the earth to be corrupted to the point where Satan could use it to destroy. And so Paul says, be not drunk with wine, in which is excess. Can I say a word about the word excess? 
asotia. It means uncontrolled dissipation. Uncontrolled dissipation. Don't be drunk because it leads to uncontrolled dissipation. And another way to translate asotia is with the word debauchery. Debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. What a beautiful contrast. Oh, what a beautiful and simple contrast. Look at your life. What is it controlled by? Where do you find your joy? Where do you find your exhilaration? Where do you find your comfort? In a bottle? Ah, that's so artificial. Now, somebody might say, well, it says don't be drunk, but uh, what about if you just drink and don't get drunk? What about that? Well, that's for next time. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for helping us to get some insight into your word. Lord, my prayer is that this little verse, tucked away almost nondescriptly in the midst of this letter will have an impact on our lives like it's never had before. Father, help us to know the simplicity of what it is to be controlled by your Spirit. And help us to know this, that more than anything else, you desire to fill us with your Spirit. And all you ask that we should do is to empty ourselves of ourselves so that the Spirit can rush into the vacuum and fill us. Thus can we commune with you. Thus can we reach levels of spiritual consciousness undreamed of. Thus can we know what it is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Thus can we understand how it is that we can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And Lord, as we look forward to next time, to talk about this whole issue of should a Christian drink Help us to prepare our hearts for what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. And with that prayer, John MacArthur wraps up today's look at living in the Spirit. That's the title of his current study here on Grace to You Weekend. Now, John, several times today you went back to this principle. We are what we fill ourselves with. Fill our mind with truth and you will be conformed to it. On the other hand, fill your mind with lies, and you start believing them. So uh, here's a simple question. How do we keep guard on what's going into our mind? Talk about that a little bit. This might be a little bit an obtuse way to answer that question, Phil, but I don't know what your experience is, but I rarely have moments when I'm not in a conversation or focused on something else when I'm just going through life, when I don't have hymns running around in my head, yeah, uh, I can get it. I can come off of a Sunday and have sung a hymn and I can't get that hymn out of my head. And it's Thursday and it's still recirculating in my head. And this reminds me not only of the power of hymns, you know, great theology attached to music, but of the reality that something planted in my mind stays and recycles and recirculates if it makes a deep enough impression on me. So from my standpoint, I want to put things in my mind that are rich, compelling, powerful, influential, hopeful, promising, 
And that is all that's in the Word of God. Right. When I get the truth of the Word of God in my head, I don't have to fight to keep it there. Once I've gone through it, and you know me well enough to know, sometimes when I'm in the middle of studying something, I can't get it out of my head. So if you have a conversation with me, you're going to get it. Yeah. Because it's just going to come out because it's it's where my mind is all the time. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Your thoughts drive everything. So think on things above, not on things on the earth. Right. This is all about the mind. It's all about what you think about. Obviously, we live in a world of um, ubiquitous junk that can take the mind over at any point in time and waste a mind like never possible in previous. Yeah, even some of the stuff that's not overtly sinful is just right. trivial. It wastes. Well, yeah, and it's all accessible through the iPhone in your hand so yeah. that you can junk up your mind pretty fast. We're trying to take advantage of that medium to pour the Word of God into people. So I would just suggest a good way to start doing that is to get in a reading plan, and I'd like to encourage you to get a MacArthur Daily Bible if you don't have one. It takes you through the whole Bible in one year. A portion of the Old Testament, New Testament, part of the Psalms and Proverbs for every day with some daily comments to help you go through the Bible in one year. It will reorganize your thinking and focus you in the place where you're going to draw the greatest amount of strength for the greatest amount of spiritual joy and usefulness. The MacArthur Daily Bible, very reasonably priced and available from grace to you. Yes, this is a great resource. I use it for my daily devotions, and I encourage you to do the same or get a copy for family devotions. To purchase the MacArthur Daily Bible for yourself or for a friend, contact us today. As John said, it's available for a reasonable price, and shipping is free. To order, call 800-55-GRACE or visit our website, gty.org. Again, the MacArthur Daily Bible will give you an easy-to-follow plan for reading the entire Bible in 2020. Just call us at 800-55-GRACE or shop online at gty.org. And while you're at gty.org, Make sure you tap into the thousands of Bible-related resources we have available there, free of charge. You can read the Grace to You blog and find out what John and the staff are saying about topics like spiritual growth, evangelism, and much, much more. You can also catch any episodes of this broadcast that you may have missed or download any of John's 3,500 sermons, all free in MP3 or transcript format. That web address again, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for making this broadcast part of your day. And make sure you're here next week. John's going to look at how the Holy Spirit empowers and helps believers. That lesson is part of his current study, Living in the Spirit. Don't miss another 30 minutes of Unleashing God's Truth, one verse at a time, on Grace to You Weekend. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king.
Ariel and resurrection. More power than gravity. His knowledge and strategies confound the academy. Bow to his majesty. He paid sin salary. Took our blame on Calvary. Those who love his name spread his fame as the policy. All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice. Let's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife. What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth. The gospel is not fake news. Our debt is sin. The gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed. Let us sin. We got the medicine. It's still human emergency. The serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up. Hand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up. Hand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land. What's up? Stop and listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not traditional, kind of different. But God's consistent, no contradiction, my proposition. Through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition. It's not some fiction, I'm spitting, the Son of God is risen. And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison. And through the Spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician. At times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proposition is my suspicion, we drop the mission. Not to this, but the Word of God is it not sufficient. The doctrine is that the gospel fixes. Is our shot condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the Lamb. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we're too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again. He came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again. Nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again. Fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land, what's up, stand up, hands up, does anybody love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land, what's up, Something from Answers and Justice. Here we go. 
A bird and a lizard. This is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on the Bible's reliability and authority. The typical evolutionary story goes like this. Fossils are formed slowly when creatures die and are slowly buried. That's probably what you learned in school, but that doesn't match what we observe. Here's one example. Last year, scientists announced the discovery of a micro-raptor with a lizard in its belly. Now, a micro-raptor is just an extinct variety of bird, and it ate lizards the same way some birds do today, head first and whole. But this discovery points to rapid burial. This bird didn't finish digesting its lunch before it was catastrophically buried. Fossils didn't form over long ages. They formed quickly as creatures were buried during Noah's flood. Discover more about the true history of the world when you visit our helpful website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll find answers to your questions at AnswersRadio.com. Savior and my 
a lily that's, well, a lily. This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's word and the gospel. Evolution predicts huge amounts of change over millions of years as one kind of creature supposedly evolved into another kind. But the fossil record shows lots of examples of organisms staying the same, even over supposed long ages. For example, last year scientists found a lily fossil in Brazil. Now this lily was supposedly millions of years old, but it looked just like a lily. It had all the features lilies have today. No evolution had happened. And how do you preserve a delicate lily? We have to bury it quickly. And the global flood of Noah's day could do just that. This lily, it's evidence of a catastrophic flood thousands of years ago. Want to know more about fossils, the flood, and Noah's Ark? Visit our full-size Noah's Ark in northern Kentucky. Plan your visit to this popular attraction at AnswersRadio.com. Yeah, Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> it's like deja vu, right? But nobody was asking where I've been Cause Christ in the music is no longer the hot trend Logic says, well maybe I should just stop then But I never got into this for a spot in the top ten I do this for one reason Jesus the true king, son To help God's elect obey Hebrews 3.1 And though the rap world is ever crowded If heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000 I know you out there, I still get the emails Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops So we dropping the topic, whether it's popular or not. Sin is not just toxic and the clock is going to stop. God is not to be boxed with the wrath of God is burning hot. We were locked in sin's closet. Our conflict was cosmic. God plotted to stop and hit the demonic with a shot. I was copping narcotics, agnostic with a plot. No optic for the knowledge of the God who often not. Jesus rocked me with the gospel and it tied me up in knots. So I hopped in a rocket and met the prophet at the top. Yo, that's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures. But we just going to let that breathe for a second, you know what I mean? The Bible says he was been forgiven much, loves much. We going to talk about being See a little bit. My depravity was total, not small like pops. I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks. I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor. Say, so yeah, I know what the time is, but I ain't read Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city, Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty Bill Lambeer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song 112 displayed in John, the way to respond When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man Microwave, wrath of God, fam That's why because of Christ I got mad joy All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy <laughs> But nowadays I'm regenerated, born again from above, fam. How else can I say they went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ, using literary devices to spit is very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ I couldn't lose, but to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the raiders of the laws. While power records were choosing to carry G unit, I was on that revolutionary theme. The brothers from the Lou held it down as well But we noticed a big shift in 2012 Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm And crossed over without taking the crossover Made us all sober years later Is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion 
illusion I love them as brothers in Christ But not their conclusions They want to reach the world by all means Keep pursuing it But tell me why they gotta diss the church While they doing it That's what I wanted to say But I ain't say it though But no more laying low I want them to play it slow And I ain't dissing them My prayers are the proof Like Boaz without Ruth Is unity without truth CHH is like gorillas in the mist With no brotherly love It's like Philly don't exist What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere Cats appear most concerned about a rap career Brothers overseas being slain in the sand While we're vain in our plan Taking fame in some fans And I ain't got time to philosophize Satan got a plot device I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize On top of all that Donald Trump's the president It's all good though Cause Jesus Trump's the president So more than ever I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled And we ain't never gonna stop Word to Corey Red I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration Of theocentric music for the selfie generation See the problem is sin No riddle in it Cause all sin got I in the middle of it We're mad to praise and truly evil We need to be born again Without a Matt Damon movie sequel In the gospel God addresses our depravity The lamb slain at Calvary The depths of his agony He rose from the grave With abundant grace And when we come in faith He'll bring us up from the sunken place Our sins decrepit Depths left the mess No rest was left till Jesus put death to death The beauty of the victory Truly is a mystery The cross of Jesus Christ Is at the nucleus of history Before the cross They were saved on credit After the cross We've been saved on debit Since our champion in the great war suffered We gon' proclaim his death like the Lord suffer So welcome to the Still Jesus Project Yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left A great mystery solved This is Ken Ham, founder of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati Last year, I announced on my blog that I'd solved a great fossil mystery. Well, let me explain. Scientists were puzzling over a fossil of a whole school of fish. They couldn't figure out what could bury a school of fish so quickly that they look like they're still swimming. Well, I know what could do it. You see, the Bible gives us the history we need to help understand the world around us. It tells of a global flood just a few thousand years ago. This flood would have buried billions of creatures very quickly and it would have caused smaller catastrophes afterwards that would have buried even more creatures. These fish were buried quickly as a result of the flood or its aftermath. There's so much more to learn about the flood, fossils, geology, and the ark. Discover answers when you visit our website, AnswersRadio.com. The place to go is AnswersRadio.com. We can't get old school. We kick it 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 old school. Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes, winds up in a pocket. Hey. 
a bird with an unlaid egg. This is Ken Ham, founder of the popular apologetics family magazine called Answers. All this week, we've been looking at fossil finds that point to a catastrophic burial, not the slow and gradual processes we observe today. We've seen a bird with a lizard in its belly, a beautiful lily, and a whole school of fish that look like they're still swimming. Well, here's another one to add to the list, a bird found with an unlaid egg inside it. This was a very exciting discovery for scientists. The bird was so remarkably preserved that the delicate unlaid egg was still inside its mother. Now, slow and gradual processes like we see today won't form fossils, and certainly not fossils like that one. It points to a catastrophe, and that was the global flood of Noah's day. Visit our life-size Noah's Ark in northern Kentucky to explore three decks of exhibits, a zoo, and so much more. Plan your visit today at AnswersRadio.com. AnswersRadio.com. Oh, 
spider's eyes and leg hairs. This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the award-winning family magazine called Answers. It takes perfect conditions to form a fossil. Textbooks often say it takes a lot of time and a slow, gradual burial, but that won't form a fossil. The creature will just rot away. In one rock formation in South Korea, scientists found insects, plants, fish, and spider fossils. What could bury all these together? And not only that, the spiders were so well preserved, you could see their eyes and even leg hairs. These fossils haven't been sitting around for 100 million years, and they weren't buried slowly either. They were covered so quickly that even the fine details are left for us to find today. And this all happened during the flood of Noah's day, just thousands of years ago. There's so much more to learn about the global flood and its effect on the world. Discover the true history of our world on our website at AnswersRadio.com. That's AnswersRadio.com.
Matthew 2.13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the baby Jesus and his mother Mary and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph took and remained there until Herod died. Now, some have claimed this means Jesus was a refugee. Usually this is to score political points or make some kind of argument about immigration. Generally speaking, a refugee is someone who's forced to flee their own country because of violence or a natural disaster. Given that Joseph with his family were fleeing the wrath of Herod, maybe they could be considered refugees. But recognize the family never left the Roman Empire. They left Bethlehem and fled to Egypt to the Jewish settlement at Alexandria. This means they were staying with their own people in a thriving community and likely used the gifts the Magi gave Jesus to pay for their stay. When Herod died a short time later, they returned to Joseph's hometown of Nazareth. The politicians who say Jesus was a refugee are often quite liberal. They advocate for the murder of the unborn and the redefinition of marriage. This means they're not at the court of King Jesus, but with the court of King Herod, who killed children and hated God's definition of marriage. They'd have done Herod a favor and killed Jesus before he was born. Jesus did not come to us as a refugee. He was born King of Kings, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we understand the text. That is WWTT, when we understand the text. And you find out on YouTube as WWTT. And then also on their website, www.utt.com. That's www.utt.com. Here's some English control here on Trippy Toll Radio. And next we got big question, short answer. Big question, what do we do with capital punishment? Nobody debates this subject. Let's see what the Bible says. Exodus 21, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Perhaps you're thinking, wait a second, that command doesn't apply to us because that was given under the Mosaic Covenant, which is true, unless, of course, we carry forward the principle, especially if that commandment is reiterated elsewhere in the Old Testament. Uh Uh-oh. Genesis chapter 9, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The capital punishment command was given after the flood, not under the Mosaic Covenant only, which indicates that this is a command given to all cultures for all time. And who is to administer capital punishment? Not individuals, but according to Romans 13, the government. Here's what John Murray wrote. It is the sanctity of life that validates the death penalty for the crime of murder. It is the sense of this sanctity that constrains the demand for the infliction of this penalty. The deeper our regard for life, the firmer will be our hold upon the penal sanction which the violation of that sanctity merit. Why? Because when somebody takes the life of another somebody, they're taking the life of an image bearer. Here are the implications. Number one, 
A person's life is sacred because they are made in the image of God. Capital punishment is not a low view of man. It's a high view of man. Number two, God restricts the punishment of death to be the responsibility, not of us, but the government, even when it's a crummy one. Number three, while you don't have to like capital punishment, the Bible clearly approves of it. And finally, there is a distinction between murder and killing that's important to make. One is a sin, the other doesn't have to be. Always a sin, but if the government, who is given the authority by God, administers capital punishment, the Christian should not have a problem with it. The big question, what do we do with capital punishment? The short answer, capital punishment is permitted due to the image of God endowed in every person. Would you please like, subscribe, or share this video so other people can enjoy this professional Christian content. Once again, that's big question, short answers, and that was on capital punishment. You can find that on YouTube, on the Wretched Channel, and also on their website, wretched.org. That's W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G, wretched.org. And this next one I'm going to do for you is I'm going to play a song. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. God, the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch cash from the furnace. Who Jesus extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He proceeded was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater and Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a most exalted King Christ supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, what you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night and his bright in the might in the diamond in the mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the lost and he found, though, he was tamed and floss all around but remained for the manger, the cross or the crown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him, fight for the rope but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was bought with a price. We got a hope that won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate 
he is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite sun. Preeminent, the name par excellence. Prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon. You see the fiber of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we of pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old and New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments that center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs> Habits that I went through, 
And so you got into uh, drugs and fornication and stuff like that. Yeah, fornication, drugs, and I was there. What's going to happen to you, Kevin, on Judgment Day when you stand before God and He judges you? You're a good person. Um, you know how to tell? Just look at the Ten Commandments. How many lies have you told in your life? Countless. Ever stolen something? Um, yes. Ever used God's name in vain? Yeah, maybe. Yes, I can't lie about that. Using God's name as a cuss word. Would you do that with your mother's name? No. She wouldn't. You'd dishonor her. Yeah. And you greatly insult God when you use his name as a cuss word. It's called blasphemy. It's punishable by death in the Old Testament. It's that serious. And Jesus said, if you, if you look at a woman with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Did you know that? No, I didn't. From the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27, 28. Whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. So, have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Yes. I had sex before marriage. Of course. Yes, we know that one. <laughs> have you ever hated somebody? Um, yes. Okay, now here's a quick summation. I'm not judging you, but you've told me you're a lying, thieving, fornicating, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. And the Bible says if you hate someone, you're a murderer. Do you know that? That's wow. how high God's standards are. I've heard that actually. I've actually heard that before. So, on Judgment Day, when God judges you by the Ten Commandments, you're going to be innocent or guilty? I'd probably be guilty. Heaven or hell? Hell. That concerns you? Yeah, it would have concerned me. See, if there's no hell, Jesus was a liar, and the Bible's filled with lies because it warns again and again that God's a God of justice and truth and righteousness. And it says he set aside a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness. But the same God who is wrath-filled at you because of your sins is rich in mercy, and he provided a Savior. You know that? No, I didn't. God in human form. The Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. In other words, God became a human being. He was the express image of the invisible God, a perfect sinless man, who then gave his life as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. Now, you know Christ died on the cross, but you may not know this. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I broke the law. Jesus came and paid the fine. That's what happened on that cross. That's why he cried out, it is finished. Just before he died. It is finished. Strange thing to say before you die. Yeah. But he was saying the debt has been paid. So if you're in court, even though you're guilty, if someone pays the fine, the judge can legally let you go. He can say, Kevin's guilty, but someone's paid his fine. He's out of here. And God can legally dismiss your case, forgive your sins, commute your death sentence, let you live forever, all because of the death and resurrection of the Savior. What you have to do to find everlasting life is repent of your sins, old-fashioned word it's more than saying god i'm sorry it's being contrite contrition means being sorry for your sins oh okay. being truly sorry it's like you know if you smashed a vase that your dad told you not to touch and you thought it was worth five five dollars you got you're not concerned this is five dollar vase you can easily replace yeah but your dad comes home and says what do you do i told you not to touch that vase that was worth twenty thousand yeah. dollars you go wow and now you can be truly sorry for what you've done and your dad might say it's going to cost everything I've got, but I'm going to pay for that vase myself because I love you. Well, we violated God's law. We smashed it in pieces, and it doesn't concern us. But the last fornication, who doesn't do that? Lying and stealing, fibs, white lies, whatever. But when you see how serious God, God considers sin, that he became a human being and suffered and died to pay to find himself, then it gives you an attitude of seriousness that can result in being truly sorry for your sins and saying, God, I repent. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. 
That's genuine contrition. Penance. And the other thing you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. Mm. Like you trust a parachute. You don't just believe in a parachute. You put your faith in the parachute. Mm. When you trust a parachute, then it will save you. When you trust Christ, he'll save you from God's wrath, his justice, save you from death itself. Now, do you think I'm telling the truth? Um, for the most part, you have your, you seem like you have your facts straight and you know, you're, you're obviously educated and stuff with all the, that, what you know, but yeah, I do. Yeah, that's, you know, the word gospel is synonymous with the word truth. You, I'm telling you gospel, that's what they used to say in movies, is the gospel. I wouldn't lie to you about something as serious as this, this is your eternal salvation. So I want you to seriously think what we talked about, Kevin, because you don't know when you're going to die. This is your life. Yeah. This is your eternity. So what do you think about this? Definitely. Just definitely to take in consideration and to think about. You have a Bible at home? Yeah, I do. So just get before the Lord and say, I, I, I've done things that are wrong. I need to be born again. I need a new heart with new desires. Please transform me on the inside. And God will do that. He's faithfully promised. The Bible says he's able to save to the uttermost. Then you come to God by him. So take God at this promise. He can't lie. You can trust him. And you do that, you'll pass from death to life. I'll give you some literature that'll help you, Kevin. Hey, thanks for listening to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's from Living Waters. Living Waters on uh, their YouTube page. That's L-I-V-I-N-G-W-A-T-E-R-S. Living Waters. Their website, livingwaters.com, too. Livingwaters.com. And now I'm going to play a song for you. This is Shiloh.
care. Sovereign Lord, who can truly understand your depths? And you this life, you're the source of every man's breath. Your mysteries, the sharpest of minds can't guess. They stand perplexed, can't fathom what you plan next. In the garden, we failed your commands test. We transgressed, now our world is a grand mess. Lord, you're perfect, so why should you demand less? Man's best is only a sinking sand quest. But through Christ, watch God's saving hand flex. Redeem the people north, south, east, and west. Glorious robes in the promised land dress. We stand blessed, all because of the Lamb's death. So as we're lifting up our praise to you, receive it, Lord. The object of our affection, whom we adore. Fallen in our misery, you daughter into history. The pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery. The ocean complains. Mountains, the rain, the universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this heart of stone and broke it open wide. Tiernan, as you think these things through, you're a smart guy. 
do they answer questions like, why do I see good? Why do I see evil? How do these religions deal with my guilt problem? I can't shake it. What do I do with my shame? How do How do they deal with my fear of death? How do they give me transcendent purpose beyond what I'm currently doing? I don't think any other religion can answer all of those questions in a harmonious way. Now, some of them might be able to answer one of them, but if they, if they try to answer all of them, you put them together, they're not going to stand stand up. Right? I think Christianity harmoniously explains what we observe and what we experience, and it takes care of all of those issues for you. So let me leave you with this, Tiernan. You're thinking about stuff a lot. But my friend, if you can't think of a major reason to surrender to Jesus Christ, uh, I would suggest that today would be the day of salvation. You don't put it off. Because if what I'm explaining to you is true, it's not just an urgency because if you die, you'll go to hell, although that's true. But if you remember my premise, this God is good kind. He's willing to rescue you from yourself. He's willing to now take you, forgive you, bring you into a right relationship with you. And then the Bible says that he starts to do a work on our emotions, on our thinking, kind of rewires our brains. You've mentioned emotional and perhaps needing, I think you said, some, some help in the past with these issues, some psychological help. God is your psychological helper. The reason that your brain struggles goes back to that garden again because of the fall. It's called the noetic effect of the fall. It's a theological term, which means we're under the curse. Everything groans because of the curse, including us. That's why our bodies fall apart and ache. That's why we don't think right. Brains just aren't wired right. God is now going to take your brain and rewire it and connect it to the right circuits rather than having a wrong version of the world, he's going to give you the right version of the way things are, and he's going to cause you to start thinking more and more in alignment with him, because he is reality. So God offers you today forgiveness of sins. You can be in a relationship with your maker. Shame gone. Your past erased. The everlasting life is ahead of you, and he'll start helping you make sense of this life. And you'll increasingly go beyond anxiety and depression into a different realm. Peace and joy that surpasses your current understanding. He wants to give you life abundantly, not wealth, not perfect physical healing. He wants you to live rightly because you're living the way that he wants you to live. So that's the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this, this, this is just a pleading with you to think this through urgently. I know you have been, but this is the best offer ever for you. Would you at least ponder that today? I will, actually, and I, I really like that analogy you used of the rewiring the brain because that, like, that makes sense. That clicks almost perfectly, the rewiring of the brain. It seems like there's toxic thoughts that a lot of my friends who aren't in religion, that like the things that they have and the things that the way they view the world, it seems like the people that are in, like my little brother, for example, is a really good example. He just, he's never down. He gets down, of course, when like he doesn't meet a goal of his or like gets a little upset, but like everyone does. But like in, in the grand scheme of things, he's a very happy person. And he, he rarely, he rarely sees trouble and rarely complains. And usually he just figures things out for himself and it always seems to work out for him. 
and I and I that analogy really clicks. And I, I actually think after this, I might I might go back. I do actually think I might look into it. Not go back immediately, of course. I would have to look back into it and start. Can I encourage something? Yeah. All right, you've got a Bible, right? I do have a Bible. Yes. Right. I want. You, I would like you to read the Gospel of Matthew. All right. And as you may, it's pretty long. Okay, it's the longest gospel there is, but it, it shows you the life of Jesus. And I want you to look for something. There's there's a repeated theme. Jesus gave a sermon on the mount. You remember that? And he talked about why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Look at the sparrows. God feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. God clothes them. He makes them the beautiful things that they are. God takes care of them. Won't he take care of you, O oh, you of little faith? And then we see stories throughout the Gospel of Matthew where, for instance, they're out and the disciples are out in the boat and the, the storm is raging and they're in a panic. Jesus is sound asleep, wakes up, and he asks them, Why are you worried, O oh, you of little faith? And it, Peter, walking on water, sinks, and Jesus says, O oh, you of little faith. He feeds thousands of people miraculously because he's God and he can do those things. And then the disciples are really worried because a big crowd of people are gathering and they don't think they can feed him. And he says, I just showed you miracle after miracle. Oh, you of little faith. What he's getting at with that, Tiernan, is when we're anxious about stuff, it's because we're believing in something very puny. We're probably believing in ourselves or our abilities or our skills or our money or our context, our looks, our humor. But God wants us to believe in him. And when we put our trust in the greatest entity in the universe who is on our side, and he demonstrated by dying for you, you don't worry about anything else. Because your, your biggest problem has been solved. The greatest entity of the universe is on your side. Believe him, and your anxieties will dissipate. That's just one way that God will help you start to rethink about things and get things in order. Okay, so read the Gospel of Matthew. Watch for those stories. And if, as you are reading that, you recognize this is the only true and living God, so in other words, the other systems are wrong, then I would encourage you, call out to him. Surrender. The biblical term is repent. You turn from your sins. It's not that you become perfect, but you don't want those anymore. You want him. You don't want, you don't want to believe in God just because you don't have to go to hell. You want to believe in God because he's been so kind to save you from hell. We should desire to be with this God who is the best entity in the universe, and he'll save you, and he'll forgive you. He'll adopt you into his family, and then he'll start to fix your emotions and your and your thinking progressively as you keep reading his word. So don't go to the Catholic Church. Go to the Bible. Fair enough? Fair enough. I will, I will look into that. I'll try that. That's something I have not tried. Welcome to a world without wretched. Nobody wants this. Please become a wretched gospel partner. It's showing a burnt piece of toast on the video. <laughs> and, and some guy put butter on it. Uh, well, check out wretched at wretched.org. And also, when I where I got this is wretched on their YouTube page, W R E T C A T D wretched, and their website wretched.org has a they have a TV show and a radio show, or also known as a podcast. And thanks for listening to Melissa Cantrell here on Truth Radio.
And for the next free song, this one is called Sweet Song of Salvation. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love.
what I'm writing this to you I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning Cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning And this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity Ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously Loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago Outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change I was thinking just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are like you in existence, you are God and you need no assistance, even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance that existed between God and man, according to your sovereign plan, we changed many times in one lifespan, I've changed even since this song began, Lord I'm so glad that you're not like us, all that you do will certainly last, you are the rock that we can trust, shows us back in eternity past, as long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed Lord. As long ago, as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the About my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still, you pursue relentlessly. At times, I wonder how this can be. Surely, it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So, even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever, this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same.
Radio with Todd Friel. Emil Swain is not dead. Please note, Emil Swain is not dead. Thanks, I've been clearing that up all week. <laughs> it's Wretched Radio. What did I say? Whatever it was, it must have been clumsy and unclear because I was getting emails too. I received one when I had mentioned a friend of Emile Wayne died at an early age, unexpected, 54 years old, just died. Nobody knew. There was not some prognosis. A reminder, life is fleeting. And I thought, in fact, Joey, your notes said Emile Wayne's friend died. Yes, because I barely caught it, but I knew it was a little bit I didn't for a minute. I waited well, for the very end. Well, my apologies for not making that eminent, especially to Emile Wayne. Dude, didn't mean to kill you. <laughs> I'm glad you're alive. And she's Mrs. Emile Wayne, she's like, wait a minute. You know, I, there, there were a lot of people asked about that, and, and, and so many people, no, everybody that asked about it, it was one of those times, I, I, I don't know why, but I was like, oh, it's just so good to be a Christian. And, and, and Christians writing in that weren't like, hey, you moron, he's not dead. It was none of that. It was this heart, please tell me Emil isn't dead. That would be horrible. He's such a dear man. It was all concern. And then it was even concerned to the level of, this is the first I've heard of his death, but maybe Living Waters is keeping it quiet because, you know, sensitivity to the family. Everybody was so thoughtful and so kind. And I went, oh, I just just love being a Christian. And I love it that Emile's Wayne is not dead. I repeat, Emile's Wayne is not dead. Pretty sure he does, too. (laughs) No one was more saddened by news of his death than him. Emil himself, Easy from Living Waters. He's I, I don't know what is. He's, he's the executive director or something there. He's 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 an Arab, who's Ray Comfort's son-in-law, who happens to be Jewish. Okay, Emil's the Arab, Ray's the Jew, and and yet two of the dearest people on the planet who get along so sweetly. There's there's your Middle East conundrum solved right there. You get everybody saved, Jew, Muslim, everybody gets saved. It'll it'll quiet down over there. I don't expect that to happen, by the way, and that's biblical. Hold on. If you're looking for an explanation for what's going on even now in Baghdad and Iran and why there is no peace in the Middle East, I would like to remind you that it is biblical. Let me take you to Genesis and chapter 16. Abraham, old Abraham, he was he was just a little bit older than Paul Washer when he and his wife got pregnant this last time. Abraham has made a promise that he's going to have a son. Sarah laughs. She's old too. Shouldn't be having babies, either one of them at this age. What do they do? They take matters into their own hands, specifically Sarah pushing Abraham. It doesn't look like God's going to come through with this promise. So be intimate with my handmaid, my bondservant, Hagar, and have a baby. That was a Middle East custom. That was not uncommon, so it wouldn't have been, now look, it was wrong, but that was customary. Abraham sinned, did it, she gets pregnant, and now Sarah is kind of angry and sour toward the woman who is pregnant, carrying her husband's son that isn't her baby. That's the setup for Genesis 16. Hagar's being mistreated. And so she says, I'm running away from my mistress. An angel of the Lord said to Hagar, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. I will give, now she speak, the angel is speaking to Hagar, 
not to Sarah, because you remember Abraham has been promised that he is going to be the father of what? Many nations, many descendants. This is the angel now speaking to Hagar. You are now pregnant. You'll give birth to a son, and I will give you more descendants than you can count. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard about your misery. Okay, so we see we've got two two half-brothers here. They're both going to be in the ancestry of many people, great nations. And I would even go so far as to say two world religions. The text continues, Ishmael, this son of yours will be a wild one, free and untamed as a wild donkey. He will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. He will live at odds with the rest of his brothers. Who are the descendants of Ishmael? Um, the, the Muslims claim ancestry to Ishmael. They believe that he was the, the promised son for Abraham. They are the descendants of Ishmael in the Middle East. Who are the descendants of Isaac? Jewish people, and then by extension, Christians. Genesis 16 Ishmael's descendants, whether you think it's the religion of peace or just those Middle Eastern nations, will always be at war with his brothers as the descendants of a wild donkey. Will there be peace in the Middle East? Uh, not, not, not until the Prince of Peace returns. Not, not if Genesis 16 is true, and it certainly has demonstrated that it is. Send your emails to idea at wretched.org. And by the way, speaking of the Middle East, if I could... The persecution for Christians over there, it is not lightening up. It is nasty. I don't know if you saw the year-end video that we sent out about Bible League International. <sighs> Middle East, Asia, India, Africa, Christians are getting shellacked. The scars that they carry, the imprisonment. Hold on. Here's here's one in the in, in the far uh, the, the, the 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 not ladder rain the middle uh, the the top rain uh, the it's the uh, the rain early rain I think is the name of the church it's Presbyterian yep. there was a pastor there who has been preaching faithfully about the separation of church and state basically preaching to his people if, if we get persecuted we submit. We submit to the, we are not rabble rousers. We are not revolutionaries. We submit to the government. Nevertheless, the government, the godless government of China, saw him as such a threat. Why? Because he's proclaiming the gospel faithfully. The church is growing. God arrested subversion of the government, they said. He was just sentenced to a mere nine years in a work camp. Highly unlikely he will survive if he has to endure that sentence. Why? because he's faithfully proclaiming the word. And I will do a shout-out for Bible League. Christians in China don't have Bibles. Christians in the Middle East, they do not have Bibles. Please answer their prayers. Send a Bible to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, China, persecuted regions around the globe. It's $5 per Bible. However many you can send every month, the better, because our Christian brothers and sisters, every single time when they're being persecuted and they're asked, how can we pray for you? They'll say, pray for faithfulness. They don't say, pray for protection. Don't pray that you know our feet won't be beat. Pray, pray that we'll be faithful. And if we could get a Bible, that'd be really great. $5, wretched.org slash Bible.
wretched.org slash Bible. It is with Bible League International, a faithful ministry for decades. An email sent to idea at wretched.org from Richard. My church recently gave a report from the members who participated in Operation Christmas Child, in which they stated that while they were at the packing center, they, quote, prayed over the gift boxes. I'm confused by that. Praying over and your thoughts. Fair question. We see that, don't we? we? We see prayers happening these days in evangelical Christianity, different locations, different postures, different activities. For instance, prayer walks. There's a part of town that we are really concerned about, so we're going to walk around that town and we're going to pray while we go. Is, is there anything wrong with that? My answer is not necessarily. Is there anything wrong with praying over boxes that God would bless them, the message that is inside, that somebody would get saved? We're praying over a pallet of Bible. Here you go, Bible League. We're praying about these Bibles, that God would send his word and that it would cut, that it would convict sinners, that it would encourage the saints. And is it wrong to be standing over the pallets and doing that? No, it's not wrong at all. As long as we understand that our proximity to the object that we're praying for has no more efficacy than if we are 10 miles away from it, that it isn't some sort of that, that the prayers become more powerful because we're walking around a town praying for the salvation of people. As long as we understand that it doesn't add any strength to our prayers, that's fine, especially if it helps you concentrate, if it helps you to focus, that's good. It doesn't have any more power. So if somebody thinks so that, okay, now this is, we gotta, we've got to be near these boxes, Bibles, or, or zip code for the prayer to work. Well, that's wrong. And I would just say, change your thinking on that, and then, and then pray any way that you want to. And please note, if you pray away from the boxes, Bibles, or town, it's just as strong. What makes our prayers efficacious? It's not our location. It's Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, there is something that the Bible indicates can demonstrate to God the sincerity and the urgency of your request, and that's a little old something called fasting. I don't believe that it's mandated, but it is described regularly as if it should be something of a regular feature for the Christian. Not mandated. You're not sinning if you don't. What does fasting accomplish? Does it make our prayers stronger? No. It simply says to God, I'm knocking harder I'm petitioning even harder here, Lord. I'm I'm really, really urgent about this. But the only way that their prayer is received, it does not depend on how many calories you consume or not. It is based on Jesus. He is our high priest. He is the one that makes our prayers efficacious. God listens to them, not because we fast. He listens to them because of Christ. So keep praying, no matter where you are. This is Wretched Radio. Like it says from Wretched, and that's all we got for the show. So I'm going to go out with uh, Yankee and Friends of the VR Really. Next time, join us Sunday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific Time. And bye for now.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.